What are some common mistakes or pitfalls you think novice collectors and investors get into when they're collecting whiskey for the first time and how to avoid them? Oh man, I think the biggest pitfall they fall into is the hype. You know, they're, they see something, they hear something, they don't do any research. And next thing you know, they're like, you know, they're the armchair investor. And you're, st- and you're stuck with the bag. You're like, ah, the guys do it on the top, they're out. So much hype whiskey. Also, I think financially driven, I think everybody wants to be an investor, but they don't necessarily have the money or the means to do so. So they think like literally buying Blantons makes them an investor. And then they're like in shock and awe when the product doesn't go up or they like spend all their money up front. Um, that's the biggest pitfall I, I see all the time, actually. Um, where do you start? Have a plan. I always tell guys, like, have a plan. Have a plan, have the money, and stick to the plan. Like, let's just say hypothetically you wanted to spend a thousand bucks a month investing in whiskey. January, go spend 700 bucks, you got 300 bucks left over. February, there's nothing to buy, but you still go buy. Don't do that. In March, you've now got 1300. Like, stick to a plan, have a plan. But to just like, oh my God, I went into XYZ store and I got myself an allocated bottle. I'm like, there's no such thing as that really anymore, first of all. The only reason why it's called allocated is because distributors don't have top shelf whiskey because it's gone before it even makes it to the store. So now they play this game and they call it allocated whiskey, but it's just like mass produced juice. So, you know, mistakes, sold it. Have a plan. That would be my advice. Love it. Have a plan. Don't buy into the hype. Stick to the plan. Stick yeah. to the plan. When, when I first started, you know, it was Japanese whiskey. I didn't deviate from that plan for like almost two years. And then it's Japanese whiskey. There was other stuff that you now, many years later, I'm like, oh, I wish I would have bought. But that wasn't part of the plan. Yeah, focus. So how did you get started originally? Like you were mentioning, you started with Japanese whiskey. How did you get started with your collection and Investing. I, I, well, I started because my kid was born premature and I was like, hey, I was sitting in this NICU for two weeks and I was like, a buddy of mine in Detroit was asking for top shelf whiskey that he couldn't find and he owns a bunch of bars and he's like, something's up. So I went to look at a few liquor stores and I was like, oh, there's plenty of top shelf here in California. And then I'm like, huh, if the shortage is starting on the east, it's going to make its way west. Mm. That's what I did. And then I tried Japanese whiskey, like, randomly. I mean, dude, I didn't know anything on the scotch. I tried Japanese whiskey. I'm like, oh, this is something special. Like, I got a feeling. I got a hunch. This is something special. And I went deep. It was a hunch. But it was a plan, and I stuck to it. I didn't buy into it, and there was no hype around Japanese whiskey at the point where I was buying it. It came about a year and a half later, but when I first got in, there was no hype. It was literally, like... Everybody else was zagging. I zigged. Yeah. I had a plan. I believe in me. <laughs> I like, I didn't, yeah, could I have maybe had a little bit more structure and listened a little bit? No, not my personality. <laughs> but I had a plan and I stuck to it. I love that. I'd love to hear a little bit about what is the difference between investing in whiskey for the short term and the long term? Because I know you mentioned also getting in before the hype, having a hunch. I think that's key to being a good collectors so i'd love to hear about that like what is your time horizon on these things car i mean my time horizon honestly like so the slalom is seven should be eight this year 
Mm -hmm. I'm eight years in, Mason is 10. So he'll need college money in eight years. So basically this was a 16 year plan that I, there was a 16 year strategy to see what the hell could happen. And, you know, here we are, you know, halfway through. So pretty exciting to kind of see the other side because it's a lot of bottles. It's a lot of work. It's not as fun as it used to be because everyone and their mother is now an investor. So, you know, they're buying up. They're, they're, they're causing a lot of confusion out there. It's very interesting to watch for me because, you know, I just sit back and watch and wait for my opportunities. Love that. Yeah, I think that's key. I think also being in it for so long, you probably have a hunch on what's coming up next, like having that similar feeling. You've heard me say this many times, Karn. You can't microwave a whiskey. So just think about it. If all the 25-year-old whiskey is sold out, they can't have it back in the market tomorrow. And I'm telling you right now, 25 years ago, nobody cared about whiskey. So whatever was being put in the barrels, like they might have maybe eight years ago had a hunch that they should put more in. But like that's not an everyday core item. So, you know, it's kind of like the bonus round because you can sell $100 whiskey to the masses, you know, 24-7. You can't sell 25-year-old whiskey to the masses. The price is a, is a different animal. And also the effort that requires and the storage. So I would I would even say like there's still another 15 years before it catches up with the demand of right. older whiskey. So I'm eyeing that stuff because you know it's limited because they they put it in didn't know this was happening so that that's where my hunch is right now look for older whiskey and all of this older whiskey that's in demand i mean yeah i drink a ton of 25 year old independent bottling scotches they are worth what i pay for them there is no investment in that i love that i go for it no no again the guy in china could care half about some of these independent bottlers. But boy, does he like a big name on it. That's the stuff that goes for premium. Right. 100%. How do you ensure what you're purchasing is legitimate? How do you um, store it once you've purchased it? Can you talk a little bit about that side of things? Oh, man. That is a mess. Not going to lie. You know, I used to buy a lot of secondary and then there was a lot of weirdness that went on. Mm -hmm. I buy a lot of auction. I, I try right now to buy from the retail store, be the first, you know, the first pair of hands on it. Mm -hmm. But fraud is rampant because the, of the demand. Does not, I probably don't know anyone actually in the world that would know what a 1968 Menacallan tastes like. Right. So, you know, if those were to be fraudulently put on the market, like, I would not. You know, I see all kinds of shady shit going on the market now because we have this other side that happens, you know, always with, with up, you have shade. Mm -hmm. And the shade is that these dudes will, they will go to a bar or on eBay and they'll buy empty bottles. Wow. These dudes fling them. Kind of like that, door, that, that dude Root B who did the same, you know, same shit with wine. Yeah. Same shit that's happening in whiskey. You know, these dudes will go to a restaurant, they'll buy a Happy Van Winkle 23 at the bar. They'll ask for the bottle. So they invest maybe like 400 bucks, you know, in the, in the last four. Then they get the bottle, they go home. I mean, I, I'd hate to say it. They could literally put anything in there. Wow. And and then they get a heat gun and they put the, the sleeve on and, you know, Bob's your uncle. And, and and the thing is, like, you're selling to a desperate crowd that's just like, oh, my God. Like, I even know the deal's too good to be true. Like, maybe I just got lucky. And I'm like, man, 
rule number one, if the deal is too good to be true, run. Yeah. Yeah. You are not that special. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's so when it comes to the storing, like, I mean, that's the whole thing with me with block bars that I was, you know, the fact that they have the bottles right now, these things are sitting in my house, cost of support, you know, insurance, all that kind of stuff. And these are going to be sold. So like, I'm really like a holding pen. Whereas like, if I look at my bottles that are up on block bar, it's all sitting there. I don't care. If I choose to sell them, it's all trendle on the base. Like I'm going to have to figure out how to sell my stuff in eight years. I don't know what the laws are going to look like. I don't know what anything's going to look like in eight years. I mean, right now it's illegal. I can't sell the bottles. Yeah, I'm a liquor license. So, you know, block bar is really a huge solution, you know? And, and I would... I would even say, you know, as Block Bar continues to go as a platform, maybe start to offer storage facilities and and and, tra- and a tradable uh, base. I mean, obviously, all kinds of rules and regulations have to fly on that, but like, why not? Yeah, it, it is where my head is. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think the storage is like one of the biggest bottlenecks right now, right? And then transporting it after the storage. Oh my God, these things. First of all, you know, transporting nightmare you can't believe how much bubble wrap you got to put on these things and then you got to hope that like it's going to be okay yeah yeah it's like you and now ups got real smart fedex got real smart they're like oh we'll take that yeah like, you hear horror stories bro guy put something in the mail and it just loses tracking on the second stop yeah no i hear that i feel like that's one of the biggest nightmares i could imagine you know you send uh-huh. it you think it's going to be good oof and, and by the way, here's the crazy part. You've been paid already. So like, you got to refund the money and there's nothing. You got nothing. Bro, it's, you know, you you know, these guys are like, it, it, you can't insure it because you're not allowed to send alcohol. It's illegal. So you're like, you're just shit out of luck. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I had one guy tell me a story once where he'd like ship like three grand worth of bourbons and, you know, it it, it it disappeared in the system and then when he kept challenging UPS they basically sent him a picture of the outer box wow sitting on the floor in the post office and be like dude there was nothing inside it oh my no. god they just took the empty box out threw the box on the floor and they're like nobody even knows you know sorry not even sorry like what was it in it yeah I don't know what well, well, it I don't know <laughs> But yeah, nightmare, man, nightmare. Where, where the cool thing about the auctions, you know, is when you do order over there, they because they're legit, you know, they can give you insurance, right? They can, they can have against breakages because that's a legitimate business, you know, right? So yeah, holding at the homie at the house slanging service is not a legitimate business, right? Right. So I think that's, you know, like I just, I look at, you know, obviously that's what attracted me to block bar and I leave my bottles up there because like, I don't want to deal with that. I'll mm-hmm. deal with that when I have to deal with it. That's a good saying. It's a nice tagline. Let's see how I should use. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about the future of whiskey. What are some trends you're seeing? How are you using those market trends to predict what's going on for your own personal investments and collection? Going to be honest, man, I'm not buying a lot right now unless I'm buying at retail or it's a deal mm-hmm. or I'm into it because the trend is the prices are too much mm-hmm. right now. Everybody is going for it. And the reality is the market can't sustain everybody being greedy. Mm-hmm. 
And the, and it starts from the very bottom all the way to the top. Everybody is trying to get an extra peso out of it. They're all trying to squeeze a little extra out of it, which is totally fine. So I'm just chilling right now. Future trends for me, I think it's going to get messy for a minute. And then there's a lot of guys that are over leveraged. The, the faux investor that went way too big and he thought that there was still an extra 10, 15% in the top and now he's down 10, 15%. And he's now sweating a little bit. Like, what should I do? I mean, I just saw like some insane on the last auction. I just saw some insane um, luxury whiskey and I used that in hashtags too. Like literally, bro, at a quarter of the price. Like wow. a quarter of MSRP hampered, boom, down. And I'm like, well, maybe that's the market price, yo. Because <laughs> I always say, anything's only as good as what people are prepared to pay for it. Yeah. You know? And, and I think that also, because the whole distribution system, especially in the United States, I can't think on a global term, is very antiquated. Like, I think that the, that the actual manufacturers, the distilleries are kind of like, whoa, 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 we're, we're selling it to somebody, we're selling it to a distributor for 50 bucks and then a retail location selling that bottle for two grand. Like, uh, why, why aren't we selling it for 600? Mm. Why are we losing that whole spread? So I think that there's a lot of education coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm already seeing some some interesting stuff coming out of Washington D.C. because Washington D.C.'s liquor licenses are different there. Um, and if that were to happen, and distilleries could go direct, kind of like what they do on Block Bar, I think it's going to be a major disruption in the business because, like, you, you know, the distillery makes this amazing whiskey, but once it leaves their house, they have very little say on who it goes to. And, and the people in the middle use those whiskeys as like pawns in the big picture. And if they were able to go direct and these guys lost their pawns, it would cause a major disruption. I think that's about to happen. I'd say in the next 36 months or less, you're going to see that whole antiquated system that's been around since like post-prohibition and hasn't really changed. Just get a massive kick in the nuts. I just be like, it is not cool what you're doing because the distillery for all their hard work should make more money and the customers should have an open chance. It's kind of like if you look at, um, sneakers or Supreme, um, where they do drops and everybody has a chance to throw their hat in the ring. Right. Doesn't guarantee you're going to win, but everybody has their chance to throw their hat in the ring. If we did it this way, where it's like, hey, we're going to put 100 bottles of whiskey up and like first 100 people randomly picked, get it. Mm-hmm. All right. That's way better than, hey, this homie in whatever part of the country getting hooked up, you know, by his distributor. I mean, they just had a whole thing happen. I think in the Pac Northwest, one of the regions where like they found that the actual powers that be were hoarding the luxury whiskey for themselves. So like, let's stop that shit. Right, Marty. Totally fine being having an opportunity to just buy it at retail, having an opportunity. Secondary is never going to go away. Everybody who lined up this morning for the Jordans on sneakers, that stuff's going to be on StockX within an hour. Mm-hmm. Everyone who's going to line up tomorrow morning on Supreme, that stuff's going to be on StockX within an hour. Like I said a few minutes ago, everything is worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Judge however you want. That's it. 
I love that. But yes, have the opportunity. Try to level the playing field because there's too much um there's too much inside baseball going on right now. Right. Yeah, leveling the playing field, democratizing access to having more direct sources, I think is gonna be key. Yeah, we're also interested in to see how how that's gonna reshape the market. I'd love to hear a little bit about how do you think the global economic um climate impacts the whiskey investing climate? I know you touched a little bit about about it before, over leverage. People. I don't know, man. I, I think it's the same rules there. I think it's over leverage is over leverage. How the rich get richer, more opportunity for people that maybe have opportunity. So it's the same. It's the same thing. Uh, you know, I'm hearing that China's purchasing a tremendously large amount of whiskey, but they always have. <laughs> Singapore is, is buying a ton of whiskey. They always have. You know, believe it or not, like in the United States, there's not a lot of that whiskey that stays in the country. Most of it's like, most of it's bought by hunters that are placed here to come and do stuff. Wow. You know, then they put it, they put it in a container and shut it out. Yeah. I mean, that's massive. I mean, you, you're talking about, you're talking about Eastern Europe. I mean, they've all got guys, they've all got guys in this country that have like briefcases of cash ready to go buy. I mean, I, I went to buy something special this past weekend and, and, you know, I was hearing stories afterwards about like, Dudes who roll up with briefcases of cash that represent foreign investment. It's an asset. Yeah. And I think that until the last three years, it went under the radar mm. as an asset. And then everyone in the mud that has a chart how it's outperforming art and cars and stocks and housing and jewelry. And it's kind of like, well, look, what was that asset again? I never know about it. I thought whiskey's meant to be drank. Yeah, it is. So, <laughs> Now here you are, boom, on the front page. You like a guy like me is like, whoa, it's kind of crazy watching someone else going up. Right. You know, so then it becomes relationship driven. You know, so that that's my how I see what's happening on globally. It doesn't, I mean, I, I think we're gonna have, like I said earlier, we're gonna have a little bit of blood in the water. And the auctions are already showing that that people are prepared to accept less. <laughs> you know, just to get out. I don't know what their financial situations are. You know, desperation is always desperation. Doesn't change. Doesn't change no matter where you live in the world. Once there's blood in the streets, also I'm sure there's gonna be an opportunity, as you mentioned. Like that's the you can step in. You know, hundred percent, hundred percent. I what I'm really trying to uh, tighten up is my direct distillery relationships. Mm-hmm. Because that, that's that's where it's at, and and, and being Rolex whiskey, it's a lot easier for me to do that than the average. Mm-hmm. And also because I don't sell my whiskey, you know, most of these guys that hit people up, it's like they're 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 doing it to make money. I I'm I, I'm making money as my investment matures, but it's got eight more years left, and I'm always open with them. I'm like, you can guarantee I'm not going to sell that bottle you're hooking me up with now, but in eight years, all bets are off. Right, you know. Yeah, as long as you're open and honest, I think that there's too many, you know, a lot of, um, here in the United States, a lot of, uh, groceries. Hi, my angel. I love you. Sorry. Little one's leaving. Yeah. In, in the United States, a lot of grocery stores get product and liquor stores will buy it from it. They put it on their shelf. And now they, now the alcohol license started to crack down on that, which is great because I'm like, wait, I don't understand when I used to run bars and, and restaurants, if I bought 12 bottles of Grey Goose, my receipts better show that I sold 12 bottles of Grey Goose. It can't be I sold 16. Mm. Or my open wine items can't be like, you know, more than my actual 
line item wine items are you know like these are red flags and they're starting to look at that which is good yeah it's why it's a wild west man we gotta have some kind of regulation everything comes around you yeah say because nothing you, you can hide under the carpet for a few minutes you know but eventually someone's gonna fan stomp on you you know the cockroach style so there's yeah. a lot of cockroaches that they're about to pull the rug out and be like what happened you know a hundred percent. Is there any brands or distilleries that are worth looking at, more sought after, or your personal favorite, like even from a long-term time horizon? I mean, me, for me, it's all about most of my collection are distilleries that are sought after by collectors and investors. Mm-hmm. Does that mean it's the best whiskey in the world? No. I have the hot girl. I'm not, you know, like, I know, you know, these are companies that spent billions of dollars in marketing. You know, like you can't go wrong having McAllen in your collection. Mm-hmm. You can't go wrong having Centauri or Michter's Buffalo Trace. You can't go wrong having that in the collection. Like every single day, there's someone that aspires to have those bottles because they've earned that right. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Belvaney, you know, like they've earned that right to to get those prices because that's what they've done for market share. So, yeah, the, the, I, I, I focus... You know, my, predominantly my collection is stuff that I know that, you know, if a nuclear war had landed tomorrow, I could sell these in a heartbeat because they're in high demand. The poor guy that went and bought like 200 bottles of Blanton's, like he's shit out of luck. He, I hope he drinks them and, and, you know, converts them to water if something went wrong. You know, but there's not a market upside on that. Any specific limited from those brands that you're mentioning that maybe... So so hard that they all have so many i mean if i was going to drop in you know buffalo trace if you could get the b tax the buffalo trace antique collection the five of those if you can get the pappies and the van winkles those 10 you can't go wrong but then you've got like ofcs and you've got mr sam and you've got double eagle rare you know like they have such a, a vibrant luxury whiskey side to them that's highly sought out like rock debt mixtures Oh my God, their celebrations, their 25s, their 20s. Like, you can't. Like, there's a glass ceiling on all of those. And and every single one of them keeps pushing the glass glass ceiling every single year, year after year, without a doubt. I mean, because this is the pinnacle of luxury. Scotch is a little different because there's a lot of, you know, McAllen will release these like $120,000, $140,000 whiskeys that'll be gone in like seven seconds. But it's super limited. It's not for the average player. Mm-hmm. And in that space, when you go north of $100,000, there's not as many people in the place. If you're playing in like the 10 to the 30 grand, how do you guys? But the minute you pu- push 100 grand on a bottle, you're dealing with maybe two handfuls of people in the world that are moving those on a regular basis. And I think that's where, you know, for brands who are thinking of coming out with something that big, you better have them pre-sold. Because, you know, you better earn that. Like when McAllen releases something big like that, it's already, the list is already told it's coming. You know, like that's a big deal. You know, uh, guys like Michter's and, and Buffalo Trace, they don't necessarily work like that because they have a decent yield. But I mean, these things are gobbled up at the fastest rate you've ever seen. I mean, it's wild. And as well, it's it, you know what? It deserves it. I just wish that the distillery could make more money mm-hmm. on it. They should reap in, you know, 
you know, a 2014 Mictus 25 year rye goes for like 35 grand. That was a $400 bottle. Yeah. Whatever it is. In 2014, Carl, that's not even 10 years ago. And it's a pretty good appreciation. Oh, yeah. And the distilleries left in touch of that. You know, and and I think that some of them are listening to what I've been saying and they're putting their prices up. And I'm like, good for you. You should. Because unfortunately, the way the game works is if, if at Carbon's liquor store, if he wants to have a luxury whiskey, his distributor makes him buy a bunch of stuff that he doesn't want. Mm-hmm. In exchange for that, it's like a hostage situation. Right. There's a, new, there's a new whiskey coming out. It's not new. It's, it's an addition of a luxury whiskey. And I tried to get a bottle, and I went to a guy that I know who could get it. And he's like, I have to buy 250 cases of whiskey to get that. He's like, I'm not buying 250 cases of whiskey. Well, I, do. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. I get you, bro. <laughs> The ideal scenario would be just direct from distillery. Like, that's what we're trying to... Hey, have an opportunity. Have an opportunity to buy it direct from the distillery. We'll call a day and let the distillery charge the, the 10 grand. Right. Instead of charging the thousand bucks. Yeah. And everyone putting their money on it, you know? Let, let the distillery go it. And let the distillery figure out how they want to do it. I mean, you talk about loyalty. You know, you and I are in this age of everything digital. These guys are not. Think about the power of the email list. Think of the power of limited releases. I mean, you could literally turn your money spigot on anytime you want if you had the customer database. A hundred percent. And how important is the is the age and rarity of these releases? Like, is the older always better? Is the more scarce always better? Or is it more market driven? I mean, I, I mean, listen. As whiskey ages, there's less and less in the barrel. Okay. Called the angel share. You know, it's hot here. You know, in the summer, it's 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 getting out through the pores of the wood and the winter is contracting in the summer. So you take 25 years and you put 300 liters in, you might have like 80 liters left. Depending on where you are. You know, if you're in Taiwan, they can't even do it past like seven years because of the humidity. Uh You know, Kentucky, they can go the distance. Scotland, because it's cold, they can go the distance. But you also don't know what you have at the end. So for me, it's like, Yes, I love older whiskey because I love what the wood does. Like I'm, I'm a Mother Nature is is a, I'm a huge fan of Mother Nature and the process of a barrel expanding and contracting. Love that makes total sense to me. Uh, obviously, water and source the name for investment purposes. Dude, I see products that are like four year whiskey sell for more than twenty five year because of the hype of what the name is. So when I look when I'm looking for a specific. Ve- I'm not at that level. When I was buying Japanese, I, you know, I bought the whole core range. I right. can't really do that. I buy the, I buy the core and go from there. But like, there's not, you know, it's not like champagne or wine where there's like, oh my God, that 1992 Dom, that was the best they ever did. You know, the 1978 Chateau of the, oh, that was the most amazing that they ever did. Oh, like, mm-hmm. I love Yeah. It's its own range. It's on. Full on. What do you think the future of whiskey is? How do you think technology is going to impact things, production? Well, I mean, that's what we've been talking about. I mean, so technology is interesting because I, you know, when I first started going to whiskey distilleries, there were a lot less computers. Mm. And now there's a lot more computers. And I didn't understand it. And I thought it was like, I naively in my thinking, not being a whiskey distiller, was like, oh man, like that sucks because it's like, they're not putting, um, they're not touching it. 
But what they're actually, the most of those computers is looking for impurities. You know, like the, the human palate is what did it before. You know, the, the guys would sit around, they would taste the whiskey or taste the grain, and they'd be like, oh, that's good, that's not good, oh, that's good, that's not good. Okay? Well, you know, you went out for a big night the night before, or you ate Italian food with garlic, you might not pick up something. The computers pick it up. So, you know, one of the distillers, when I asked him in his 25-year history, what's different now? And he's like, the whiskey we do now is the cleanest whiskey I've ever seen in my life. Now, is that a good or a bad thing? Because I look at like clean. Clean is a nonstick pan. Well, flavor is a cast iron skillet pan. You know, like both when you cook a steak in it, two different things are happening. Right. So they got to figure out a happy medium. And I think that's what they're working towards too. But I know that the old stuff didn't have the nonstick. So it's all cast iron. I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. What about countries, up and coming countries? Like I know you mentioned you got into it originally with Japanese whiskey. Is there any up and coming countries that you're seeing? Well, I, I think that they've all been making it for years. They just haven't had a face to it. So like you're seeing stuff now. You're seeing like Indian whiskey coming up. You know, Taiwan's got whiskey. Uh, I just got a Czech, a 30 year old Czechoslovakia whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously you've got Scotland's, United States. I mean, I'm sure everyone and their mother's going to try to make whiskey because why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no product at carbs. So it's like, it's literally like, what can you do? Can you make right. something? Can you fill the hole on the shelf? Yeah, like that's what it, they're almost like in this like damage control. Like, where can we buy it from? Because like our stores are going through a thousand cases a month. Wow. And they used to do the 400 cases. What do we do? I don't know, bro. You better go find those other 600. I don't care where it is. Timbuktu. Timbuktu is making whiskey. It's got a story. Put it on the shelf. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, the consumer is starting to get a little frustrated because they can't get the stuff that they want. So brands are losing loyalty because it's not their fault. It's the market's fault. But if you were used to only drinking this one thing and all of a sudden you can never find it, you're going to be pretty irritated and go somewhere else. Yeah. So. Makes a lot of I sense. I think the, te not, the technology, that's that part. I, we spoke about the future of distribution. I think that has to change. I think just in general, everything's going to come to the web. Right. You know? There's still going to be trucks slinging the stuff, but like the luxury stuff, why put it on the truck? Right. So you think it's going to be all more direct online? Everyone has the equal opportunity of getting one direct from whatever distillery is there. Storage. Uh, you know, every, everyone has a chance to put their hat in the ring, you know, so, as opposed to like, you know, just those first 50 dudes who got the hookup at the warehouse. A hundred percent. No, I think that's great. Anything you thought about like Chinese whiskey? We've been seeing some stuff coming out of there. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. They're a huge consumer. Why not? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about like how Japanese whiskey started, like they went and studied Scotland. Right. You know, so the biggest thing of whiskey is the water source. So if China has a really great water source that's high in minerals mm. and they can get someone to come and, you know, because that's the basis is the water source. Right. You know, the grains are the grains. There's grains everywhere. Right. You get grains anywhere. It's the water source. Mm. That's the secret sauce, you know? Oh. And the knowledge. So yeah. if they can wrap a bow on all of that, like you're good. Amazing. I think, yeah. I think we're, we're good with that with questions. And honestly, great chatting as always. Always, my brother. I appreciate you and that.